Welcome everybody to the Life, Death and Happiness Podcast. This podcast is all about real talks with real people. Why? Because some stories just need to be told. In each episode, I will sit down and talk with my guest about how it is to live with an incurable disease or terminal illness. But let me get this straight before we start. This is all about celebrating life. I'm your host, Daniel Cole. Welcome. Welcome to this episode. And uh, this time around, I have an old friend, an old co-worker, Anya, with me. And uh, I don't know if you want to start out presenting yourself and uh, tell us a little about who you are and uh, what your diagnosis is. Hello, Daniel. Nice to see you again or hear you again. Same to you. <laughs> uh, my name is Anya. I'm 43. Um, uh, I'm working as a social media manager uh, at a shelter. Uh, mm-hmm. And besides that, I also have a disease called endometriosis. To make it easy for everyone, we could just call it endo because everyone who has it does, does that. I would probably do that. Yeah, <laughs> I've been doing that word and be like, easier. okay, I'm gonna, it's a tongue twister for me. <laughs> yeah, also for me, it took me at least six months to pronounce it probably. So so I would just call it endo to make it uh, easier for everyone. Uh, endo is a disease almost 10% of all women has. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not talked about a lot and many people haven't heard of it. Uh, it's difficult to tell what the, what the disease is or the sickness is, because nobody really knows. But the closest thing uh, the scientists can come to an explanation is that um, the membranes you have inside your uterus when you have your period as a girl, mm-hmm. uh, those cells uh, are traveling around the body and uh, attach themselves different places. Normally, it's the in the abdominal cavity. Uh, it, could, it could be on the bladder. It could be in the uterus. Mm-hmm. It could be uh, in the ovaries. Um uh, when people have this, it's difficult to, to get a diagnosis. For many women, it will take between five and ten years to get it, where the sickness or, or the the different things in the body are changing and they don't know why. Uh, you cannot test it by blood works or anything. You have to have a scan or at least a scan, and sometimes you need an operation to even get the diagnosis. Okay, uh, so uh, also for the listeners here, so this time we're not talking about a terminal disease but a chronic illness that a lot of people, a lot of women actually share but do not talk so much about. So there's not yes. a lot of um, awareness regarding this. So that's also, yeah. when you talk talk to me and you told them about your story, I thought it would be interesting for the very same reason. This affects many, but for some reason, it's, I don't know if it's a stigma, but I mean... We need to be aware of these things because it actually have a big impact on parts of your life, right? A very big impact. For most, for it's my luck. I just have my diagnosis. I'm 43. I had my diagnosis two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but many women have the diagnosis or have the problems with it already uh, after they get the periods. That means 16. Mm-hmm. 17, 18, and for many women, this will cause a problem, so they get sterile. They will not be able to have children because everything inside is getting ruined by this endo. They have cysts, thing is, uh, thing is growing together like a web inside and destroying everything. So that infertility is a big problem with these women, and it's a big sadness for many of them. So it's a very serious disease. Mm-hmm. But I think the problem is, uh, the reason why nobody knows about it is it's a very sensitive area. 
for most people, you don't go around talking about your uterus <laughs> with <laughs> strangers. No, no, yeah, you're, you're right. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not it so common. It is a private area, so you keep it to yourself or your closest one, and you don't talk about it because what what would you say? Also, one of the things uh, that happening to the body that uh, one of the symptoms you get very early in this is very strong periods. You bleed a lot. You have a lot of pain. And for some reason, through many years, it has just been like this. When you go to the doctor and said, you know what? My period cramps are killing me. I'm throwing up. I'm almost fainting. I can't go to work. I can't go to school. I cannot go do anything. I'm just in bed, almost feel like I'm dying. Hmm. The doctors often say, yeah, but that's normal. That's because you have your period. But what they know now is it's not normal. It's definitely not normal. If you have those cramps and you're bleeding and it's very rare, you get very, very sick, you mm-hmm. have to go and get checked for this because most of the time it's because you have this endo. And the only way, they, can, they cannot treat it. They cannot cure it. Um, but what they can do is uh, most times if they give girls uh, birth control pills, it can uh, hold it down. Okay, uh, yeah. so you don't get so many, so you don't get the cysts, you don't get the spots is, is inside. Is that, that always the yeah. case, or is the grades of having an endo? They are grades, uh, <coughs> but it, you cannot say that. Yeah, I think they operate around four grades, from mm-hmm. light to very severe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have it the severe kind, but mm-hmm. you you can have the severe kind, but don't feel anything because. Um, the grades are telling how much your, your body is uh, influenced by it on the inside, but you can have uh, everything grown together, but not feeling it right away. So you okay. can have it severely, but don't uh, much pain, and you can have it lightly, but the spots sit uh, in a place that really, really hurts inside. So you can have severe pains, even mm-hmm. if you have it light. So, so the grades don't tell anything about how you are influenced by it. Um, so, so I'm, yeah. I'm wondering. Now, uh, now you've got the diagnosis and everything. But when was you diagnosed, and uh, how how was it for you? I mean, you were told somehow. Was there anything happening inside you? Anything that made you go to the doctor, or how did they actually know? How did they find out that this was what you were suffering from? Well, um, uh, about four or five years ago. Um, I went off the pill because most of my life I have very bad uh, hormonal migraines who was really, really destroying my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day when I was about 37, uh, 36 maybe, a doctor told me, why do you t- still take your birth control pills? Because that makes it worse. And I was like, um, I've been taking these since I was 16. Why haven't anybody told me this? <laughs> but I wasn't sure if I, if I want to throw them away because there was I could control my periods and my personal travels a lot and I like my work. And every time I have my periods, I already uh, have always been very sick mm. uh, and a lot of pain, even if I was taking these birth control pills. Um, so I wasn't sure if I was was going to throw them away. But suddenly after that, I was beginning to get my period outside the, the birth control period. So suddenly it was like my body regulated itself. So So it didn't make sense to keep taking it. Mm. So I threw them away and... Uh, <clears throat> Hallelujah, my migraines disappeared. And for almost a year, I was feeling really good. No migraines. Mm-hmm. My body was getting easier to always also have a problem regulating my weight. Mm-hmm. That was getting easier. I could really see how much these hormones has influenced my life in a bad way. Mm-hmm. So the next year, my body was regulating itself again. It was amazing. I felt good. And after that, it was like my body started falling apart. 
Okay. I was, it was like my immune system was non-existent. Uh, I was getting sick. Even if the neighbor next door was coughing, I was sick. Uh, I was getting... Sounds uh, familiar. <laughs> yeah. yeah a lot of people who have uh, diseases who are chronic have this problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was pr- suddenly getting this. I have, I think the last year before I got my diagnosis, I have two years with this when I went to the doctors all the time and said, you know what? I don't know what it is. It feels like I'm falling apart. And I actually also told them, I'm pretty sure it has something to do with me getting off the pill mm-hmm. because it was after that. And every time the doctors told me, no, it has nothing to do with that. And all the symptoms, I have maybe a list of 15 symptoms, different everywhere in my body. Wow. And they said, yeah, but this is not connected in any way. We have to take one thing at a time and said, yeah, but I know it's connected. I know myself. I'm very good to feel how I feel. Uh, and I was just, they were like, no, 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 no. The last year before uh, I actually got my diagnosis, uh, I was starting having a lot of pain mm-hmm. uh, in my stomach and I uh, in my uterus and everything. My stomach was growing. It feels like uh, I couldn't sit. When I was sitting, I couldn't breathe. Uh, my stomach was hurting a lot. I have weird infections uh, everywhere in my body. And I was I had more than... 26 days at work, and that was just the days I actually went, uh, actually didn't go to work. I yeah, have, then there's also all the days where you, where you're I actually still went going while, while feeling people. shit, like shit, yeah. Yeah, so it was, I was really, 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 really not in a good shape, and then I was so tired, I couldn't concentrate, normally I have a lot of energy, I felt like every day I woke <clears> up, <throat> even though I had a good night's sleep, mm-hmm. I was left, I was starting the day with 50% energy, so uh, I started not seeing my friends so much because I couldn't manage it. I was sleeping all the time when I wasn't working mm-hmm. uh, and everything was, I was not in a good place. So then my sister actually told me, look, I have been searching some of your your symptoms mm-hmm. uh, on Google, thank God for Google. <laughs> yeah, Google uh, is sometimes uh, very Google good. Google is awesome sometimes for this. And she said, are you sure you don't have this endometriosis? And I was like, yeah, but, you know, one of the biggest symptoms they say is you, you're having difficulties when you're having sex. Maybe it's very painful. That's most time when people discover this. And I said, I never had that problem. So I was just, no, 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 it's not that because I don't have the one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though the rest of the things was like a checkbox. Yeah, I have this, I have this, I have this. But I I went to, I was really desperate. I had a, I, I can tell you, I had blood works done for everything in, on the planet, I think I can. I have a list for like hundred diseases I don't have. <laughs> I spent <laughs> at least you got it on paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. I have uh, spent. I could not tell you how many days in the hospital for checking me for everything weird. Hmm. Everyone was puzzled to say we don't know what's wrong with you. None of them was thinking about checking for endo, even though I told them my, my I told them it was after the birth control pills. So hmm. this is really scary as well. The doctors didn't recognize it. But I went to my own doctor and said, you know what? I want you to send me to a specialist. I want to be checked for endo because uh, my sister has this theory. It could be this. And it's not anything else. And I'm out of options. Just do it. And then there was a three-month wait. And when I got to the doctor, I was really, really, really in a bad shape. I had, was, It was so painful everywhere. Uh, I couldn't almost work. I went up to him. I was crying already when I talked to him because I was so desperate to mm. get a solution. Uh, also because the doctors have kind of implied uh, on the way, and this is normal for endo patients, that maybe it was all between my uh, in my head, between my uh, my ears. <laughs> it was not a real thing because they couldn't measure anything. So maybe the pain or all the difficulties was just made up. 
So maybe it was my brain that was wrong. That's just the worst. When the, when that is the first explanation to kind of grab onto, because, I mean, usually, I, I know there are cases of people who always claim to to be sick, and but most people actually want to feel normal, be able to have a normal, healthy life. Exactly. We don't walk around making up stuff like that just to get Why the attention. Why would we lie? It's destroying. I know some people do, yeah. do it, but come on, it's not, it's not karma. It's very few. It's very few, uh, and I was really getting uh, so frustrated with the doctors because they were they were really implying, "Are you sure it's not in your head?" Yes, I am. Damn sure it's not in my head. Send me to the doctor. And I went to the specialist, mm-hmm. and we talked before he he checked me out. And even just when we talked, I told him about this. He just said to me, "I'm pretty sure you have this endo you're talking about." He uh, is, uh, was a specialist who was uh, former uh, head doctor in the endo specialist department in, mm. the, in the hospital in Copenhagen, our national hospital. Mm-hmm. So he really knew what he was talking about. And then he said, okay, let's check you. And he was scanning me inside. And it took two minutes. He just looked at me and said, I can really understand why you are in so much pain. You have two big cysts growing inside. Mm-hmm. And it's growing inside your ovary. And it's growing uh, uh, inside in everything in the right side of your body. And it's about 12 centimeters big. Wow. That's together. a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. If the two together was 12 centimeters, so six centimeters each growing inside. Mm. He said, I cannot understand. You have not fainted by pain because it has destroyed your uh, um, destroyed your ovary mm-hmm. totally while I was awake. <laughs> oh, he said... This is severe endo, and you have to get operated almost right now because uh, I can also say, uh, also see that your um, your uterus has beginning to grow together with your intestines, and if they grow really together, you have to have some of your intestines removed as well, and that's a big operation. Uh, and I can see different places; everything started to make a web inside. Oh. So every time I'm eating, uh, the food is going down the intestines; it pulls everything. Also the cysts. So that's why every time I was uh, going to the toilet, I was almost fainting. It was so painful. So, so that, that so all of a sudden you just need to to get in connection with this one doctor, and that is something. It's not funny. It's not. I would call it interesting because yeah. that's something we hear a lot. No matter what kind of chronic disease people have, a lot of the doctors. I know they cannot know about everything, but often we go from doctor to doctor. And we, uh, and they start to take you seriously, and they want us to check it out when they can't figure out what it is in the beginning. A lot of them actually just go be like, oh, it's just something you make up. You know, yeah. instead of going in deeper and really figuring out what is wrong here, you often get these quick solutions. Yeah, and it's really frustrating because it doesn't make anything better for you. <clears throat> uh, in this case, when he told me I had this first, I was really relieved Mm-hmm. And almost crying because suddenly, yes, there's a reason. And he told me, and I'm not crazy, and everything I have been saying about the birth control pills and every uh, every little step of mm-hmm. the way was connected. He said, it's totally normal when you have endo. All of the things, it's normal when you have this. And I was finally, yes, I'm not crazy. And then it hit me, oh, my God, I need an operation. I have never been operated in my life. 
I have never have any big injuries. I never even broke anything. And I was scared <laughs> to death of this anesthesia. So I was like, uh, are you sure we cannot do it any other way? He says, no, no, no. <laughs> we have to do this. Yeah, we, yeah, we have to go the, put you through surgery no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was so scary, but also I was really relieved. But it was really fast. And this was in November. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in uh, December, I was uh, at the the national hospital, the mm-hmm. endo department. And they made the same, uh, uh, they, they saw the same things when they scanned me and they were like, yeah, you need an operation quick. Uh, mm-hmm. I was MR scanned in uh, January and in March I had the operation last year. Okay. Um, yeah. how, how did that so go? Really quick. Just, just because, how, how did that go for you? The operation? Yeah. Uh, I, I was uh, I was really scared because again, I hadn't tried it before, but the, the staff in there was amazing and they was holding my hand all the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was um, the kind of uh, operation, I think they call, they call it keyhole surgery, where they make holes in your stomach uh, so they, it, they don't have to cut you right open. They can make okay. small holes and operate you like that. The operation took more than three hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, they removed, uh, of course, uh, my ovary, um, and they uh, cut off a piece of my uterus because they found out, and uh, they couldn't see this on the scan, but they found out when they looked inside that my rectum was growing together with my uterus. Okay, uh, yeah. So they have to take some of the uterus out uh, off and uh, sew it together, and also they have to disconnect the uterus with the intestines. Um, and they, they couldn't. They, I was afraid they would make the big operation with the intestines, but they they chose not to because the ingrowns was not too bad. So they just uh, pulled it apart and said, "Let's hope they don't connect again." Mm. Uh, and then they gave me an in uh, English. It's an uh, IUS intrauterine system, which is a, a hormone device they put inside. Okay. To, yeah. It normally you use it to not get pregnant. Uh, but you can, it's the same uh, procedure because the way they can, I was, as I was saying earlier, the way they can kind of keep the endo down for growing is uh, hormone treatment. And normally they use birth control pills because uh, that's the strongest hormone, but I cannot get that because of my migraines. So they have to give oh, me yeah. this device instead <clears throat> and uh, with a very low dose of hormone. Um, And then they say, we have to see if this is working normally. They will, it will keep it down and hopefully uh, it will just be like that. It's not getting worse because many people or many women who has this, when they get to the menopause, when they're around between 50 and 60, mm-hmm. this disease uh, kind of fades out because endo is living of hormones. And the lesser hormone you have in the body, the the lesser food it has. Okay, um, that, that makes sense actually, yeah. Yeah. But I also have seen a lot of women where it doesn't disappear because if you have had it for many years, the endo starts uh, making it, its own hormone. <laughs> so oh. nasty little buggers are making its own hormones. It doesn't matter what you do. With That, that's just plain unfair. For the rest of life. <laughs> it's so unfair, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so they will give me the hormone treatment and say, let's see what happens. And if, uh, after the first three months after the operation and after I was healed, mm-hmm. I was flying. I was feeling amazing. I had so much energy. Energy. I could start working out again. I was mm-hmm. riding my bike to work again. I was loving everything. I was feeling so great. Nothing hurts. After three months, I got tired again. I started having problems uh. go to the toilet again. Everything came back. Not so bad as before, but still. But still, so when so I was, still not to you recognize it at once and be like, oh shit, here we go again. 
Yeah, I could totally feel it was the same again. And then I was for my six-month check uh, at the department, and they checked everything was looking fine. But I told them, look, I also had a lot of side effects of the hormones because my body's really reacting to that. Mm-hmm. I was gain, gaining weight again. Uh, I was getting... Uh, I, I was looking like a teenager. My skin in the face was getting really pimpled. <laughs> it's not, sorry, I'm, sorry, I'm laughing. It's not funny, but yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, but it was kind of, of funny. <laughs> I was making jokes of it because what can you do? You can only laugh at it. Why? Yeah. There's no use of crying. You can only laugh and say, what the hell? I'm looking like a teenager again. I, my pimples all over my face. All the all the side effects you can have for getting hormones, you can I could check everything on it. Hmm. I was scared. I have uh, two months where I was feeling nauseous every day because of the hormones. And keep in mind, there was the smallest amount of hormones I got, but my body is really sensitive to this. So if I could have the choice of not not have any of it, it would be better, but then the end would grow. So it's like, mm, uh, so you have to get a small dose. Bad, of... something bad. Yeah. yeah. Either way, it was bad for me. So when I went to six month checkup and I told them all of this, they they also even this department kind of insinuated maybe it was just between. Again, in my head, between my ears, uh, because what they could see, everything looked fine. And I told them, but it is not fine. I know myself so well, there's something brewing in there again. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, but maybe it's just because you're you're thinking like before. And I said, no, because I had three months where I was feeling great and was hoping this was my new point of view. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they said, yeah, yeah, but just maybe it would be better. And I just knew when I went, I was so disappointed, even Mm. the specialists who knew that so many endo women has this problem. They're getting told, yeah, but maybe it's it's just in your mind you're crazy. You don't tell a patient that you know have been struggling with it. You're almost, for some people, their entire life. So I was really, really uh, bummed out when I went from there. I was like, okay, maybe yeah, it me. is me. I'm just making things up. But after that, it just got worse and worse and worse. And uh, I just got tired again. Uh, I started not seeing my friends again because I didn't have any uh, energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was feeling, again, problems going to the toilet. And I feel my stomach is always bloated. I have problems. I also have IBS, which is common when you have endo as well. I have IBS all my life, and it's getting worse with the endo is, uh, endo is growing. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, getting blossomed up again. And uh, after, again, six months, I, I said, I, 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 there's something wrong. Uh, so I called the yeah, department. Yeah, you, you felt all the way in your body. But I, I wh- could feel you, something growing in there again. Were you was... still in contact with the expert and the doctors? Meanwhile, or was uh, or did they just let go of you because they thought it was in your head? No, uh, luckily for, for, for the endopatients, when you had an operation two years after, you're still with that apart- department. Okay, So you okay, don't cool. have to go through your regular doctor because that could be a, a really, really nightmare because most doctors actually don't know this disease. I don't know why, but they hmm. don't. Uh, but two years after, I'm still connected directly with that department. So I called that department and said, you know what? Uh I, you have to have a, to have a checkup because I can feel something is wrong again. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, but it, of course they always try to ask the question maybe so they don't have to see you. But I just I don't ask many questions. Just give me a time. I know myself. I'm done listening to people telling me I'm all right when I can feel I'm not all right. I was really getting angry at that point and frustrated. And they said, okay, we we'll make a time for you. But and that's they, again that is something a lot of this chronic disease have in common actually that. No matter if you get diagnosed if you're five or when you're 30, we we hear that all the time. I hear that a lot of the times when I talk to people that you know what's going on inside your own body, 
Yeah. And often... So please normal, list when we yes, tell you. exactly. You, you yeah. get a connection with your body when you're going through something like that. And people don't get that. Often the doctors who should actually know about the body, uh, they, they should know these kind of things. But it seems like a lot of people are, is ignoring that part, that we get to know all the symptoms that happens within our own body. Yeah, and he said, yeah. and I know myself, even the small things, I know, oh, something is wrong again. Mm-hmm. So uh, I went to the the extra checkup here, and this time I went into, uh, came into another doctor, and it was a guy, and first I, I was like, oh, guys, looking at my private parts. It's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not so fun at the beginning to get that area looked at, and when it's a guy, sometimes for me it's very uh, crossing my limits. But I was thinking, okay, but also I have heard that men sometimes more gentle because... <laughs> There just are. So uh, I went in with the, this guy, uh, and uh, he checked me out. And uh, the right side where I had uh, my ovary removed last time looked fine. And then he looked at the left side, and he went still. And I was like, oh, I just knew it. <laughs> I just yeah. knew it. And yeah. he said, yeah, you were absolutely right. You have uh, two new, or you have one new cyst mm-hmm. in the other ovary. Uh, and I can see everything is starting to get connected again inside. So you were 100% right what you're feeling. I said, yeah, but I knew this. But I just needed you to know it so we can do something <laughs> about it. And he said, yeah, you need another operation. Uh, and this was, I think, in March this year again mm-hmm. already. I was just a year after I got operated. They say you have to get a new operation. Oh, yeah. So last month, uh, month I had uh, the MR scan and I talked to them the other day. And in October, I think... Uh, I will need a new operation, and this time they were re- uh, removing everything, ovary, okay. uterus, everything inside, because just to see if it helps, because the hormone treatment didn't work. It didn't hold it down. But mm. also, again, I have the severe kind, so you never know how it will act out. Um, again, at this time, I was afraid they will do the big uh, operation with the uh, intestines, but mm. they, they said that it still looks like it's not too bad, so they're hoping when they remove everything else, that uh, the intestine and dough will just went dormant or something like that. Um, mm. They can also see it has been growing together with my rectum again. So, so everything was feeling was correct. Um, so yeah, there we there we are. <laughs> I mean, everybody likes to be able to say, "I told you so," but you don't need that when you have something like this. I mean, <laughs> no, it's pointless anyway. So we need and to also, be taken seriously, no matter what. Yeah, but I think one of the things has been really difficult with this because the the disease is what the disease is. It's not out of my hands. That was actually also frustrating because I'm a I'm a person who's very um, I'm controlling my own life. I I live alone. I have my own house. I have my own job. I do everything myself, and so I like to be in control. And suddenly, this was you? something. I- control yeah, yeah. You know <laughs> uh, suddenly I didn't have control of anything it felt like my body was working against me and it, uh, it was so frustrating uh, for a long time but at some point you just have to accept that uh, we also like we talked before we, we were making this show mm-hmm. uh, about uh, many people are like it, it defines them when they get a disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually, when I just had my diagnosis, I had a boss at that time who's really funny. Uh, and she said, uh, so uh, how are you feeling about it? I said, yeah, but it's really, 
it's so important to me. It doesn't define me. She said, yeah, you don't want to be Endo Anya. And I said, no, exactly. <laughs> I'm not Endo Anya. I'm, I'm Anya who happens to have Endo, but it's mm-hmm. not defining me. I'm also really trying to do so much I can do. But of course, it's uh, it has consequences to have this. And this, this was the biggest battle for me, actually, not the operation, not everything else. The biggest battle have been uh, realizing that I have to make changes uh, changes in my life. Especially when it's forced upon you like this, right? Yeah, it's yeah. by choice, yeah. So I have to be curious here because we talked in the beginning uh, also before we uh, started recording the podcast that there's kind of a stigma to something like this. People don't like to talk about the uterus or the ovary and everything surrounding this endo mm-hmm. is something you usually do not talk about. If feel people feel uncomfortable, maybe some of the listeners feels uncomfortable, and that's all right because, I mean, when 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 you can deal with it because you have to. Mm. But how how did you have you talked to your family or friends about it, or how did they react when you start to try to tell them what was wrong? <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole uh, funny story in itself for me, actually. Mm-hmm. It ha- that has been really interesting. My family, of course, my, my parents and my sister. My sister already knew it, as I said mm-hmm. before. She had a, a big suspicion about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my parents was kind of devastated for me because they was feeling sorry for me. But I, I can see when I talk to my dad sometimes, he's getting a little bit uh, flustered <laughs> when I'm using too many words. So I normally, when I talk to him, don't get too, uh, uh, don't say too many specific words because I know he's maybe feeling a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm coming from a family that's fairly open, so it's not a big problem. And my mom, mm. I can talk to about anything. Uh, my closest friends uh, know the the details, mm-hmm. uh, but and most people I know know I have this, but I'm not going in so many details about it because it makes people uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, and I know if we have to have this disease out in the open, We have to talk about it, and I'm trying Definitely. not to be too close about it because it's necessary. But it is really, really, it's really difficult for the disease in that area because there is still some in the, something in the society that says there's something we don't talk about, and this is the mm-hmm. private part. So, uh, but the, for me, it's like, yeah, I, I understand that 50%, but also 50% is like, but all women have these parts. It's just biology. What mm-hmm. is the problem? Um, so yeah, but my friends, the biggest thing I have noticed about this, and I have never tried this before because I had never had a diagnosis and I had never been really sick with anything is, uh, some friends, um, when I was expecting them to be really open and wanted to hear about it when I have bad days, yeah, people are really bad at the, uh, handling this mm-hmm. because when people are saying, how are you doing? When people ask me this, I'm assuming they actually want to know. <laughs> But I have found out I cannot assume that. So for many people, I just have to say I'm okay. Because the bad, if they catch me on a bad day, and it's not like I'm complaining a lot. But if they catch me on a bad day, I'm saying, yeah, you know, good days, bad days today. It's not a good day. I'm really tired and I'm painful, but I'm still standing and I'm doing my thing. Even though I try to keep a positive spin on it, people mm-hmm. are having a tendency to be like, mm-hmm, yeah, okay. Can we talk about something else? Um, <laughs> yeah, you can feel them getting uncomfortable and uh, insecure at once, It's like, like this. Yeah. Yeah, it's been. I, I don't think. I, I, I don't think. I don't know if it's just here or in Denmark or whatever. But I know in Denmark people are really bad at talking at bad things. 
the, and I, I think in many other places I've been in the world, there's no problem. They talk about death and they talk about everything. But even the subject of people dying is really uh, something we, we don't like. It's like taboo. We don't talk about it a lot because, ooh, bad feelings. We don't want to touch that. Mm-hmm. So that has been really interesting for me because I don't have problems talking about anything. But it has really been interesting to see which of my friends and co-workers and family members have been acting weird around it. Mm-hmm. And also when I have told them, yeah, and that this has just been from a, a point of view of facts. When I told them, yeah, but they say to me, yeah, when you get the operation, you will feel better. Say, yeah, but there's no guarantees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't be so negative. But I'm not negative. I'm just being realistic. I'm hoping for the best, but I'm... Of course, I'm yeah. uh, I'm, I'm uh, making sure I'm prepared for the worst because <laughs> you never know what happens with this disease. That is the disease uh, handprint. For most women, it doesn't work. Not for a long time anyway. So um, so why can I not be realistic? It's not about being negative. There's, for me, there's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I kind of got a little of that, a sense of that. When I when I went through my cancer and I felt like okay I have to figure out what to do from here now I know I got ca- I've had cancer I'm probably gonna get it again I got Franconian email there'll probably come some not probably there will be other stuff coming up I had to deal with that so for the first time in my life I went to see a shrink mm. but I have a I had a very difficult time in the beginning to also find the right person because as soon as I said okay. The, the basic is I have this disease, this illness. It will kill me somewhere somewhere down the line. So I don't need you to uh, constantly uh, ask me questions uh, countering that because mm. I had the feeling about, you know, I mean, the string was like being like, but you don't know that. But okay, let's, okay, nobody survived it yet, okay? Can we just talk about <laughs> something differently, okay? Uh, how I feel or how I, how, how I can tackle this, how I can live with it. But... Yeah. Even the shrink was so insecure about the thought of death and diseases, she couldn't really get over that part. And I, I tried to find somebody, and I I ended up going to a place uh, in the Helsingør uh, town, Denmark. But it wasn't a big, uh, great success for me because it was always the same. They felt so uncomfortable with that part, and to me, it was important to be honest about it. Say this yeah. is a part of what I have to deal with. So how do I, you know, how do I just learn to deal with it in a different way? So in the reality, it's kind of the same that you mentioned here, because I don't know if it's a Danish thing, like you said, or if it's a human thing. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I could, it could be either way. I haven't been in this situation before, so I have no track record. I have nothing mm-hmm. to compare it with. Uh, yeah, but it is really funny when you when you accept uh, some part of your life, not in a bad way. You just, yeah, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And I have to work around it. Why people have so much difficulties accepting that. It's mm-hmm. not their life. So when you know, yeah, you're not going to get 90 years old because you have a disease that says you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have accepted that, but you're trying to make much out of life as you can while you have it. So so that's the how do I deal with that? I have accepted that, but the rest, how do I deal with that? That mm-hmm. shouldn't be a difficult question. Yeah, maybe to find a solution, but I don't know why, especially experts, how they are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Just say, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. The more we talk about it, I think it may, may be the instantaneous thing. I mean, we always hear about <laughs> the Danes are the most happy people in the world. And yes, yeah, we are happy. We, don't talk about we the have bad a good things. life, but we, <laughs> if you don't want to talk to anybody about what really matters or what's hurting you, it's getting a little light light pink and fluffy, right? I mean, yeah, but it is. And I, in the, in, already I'm a person who I'm not really good at it. I can small talk, but I'm really bored about it. I really like conversation about the important things in life or how people are really thinking or really feeling, even if you're not agreeing. <laughs> I love this conversation because that expands your world. So when I meet people who only want to talk on the surface and even if it gets a little deep or you get in touch with people's pains and they just pull themselves back, it's not interesting. So it has been really interesting for me to see how people have been reacting. Uh, and also I have been making tests when I talk to people to give them small information a little bit and then a little bit just to see where the breaking point was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's always so, uh, cool. <laughs> yeah, because I have I done that actually like an experiment because I was in the beginning when people were reacting weirdly about it. When I talked, I get really disappointed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, okay, these people I actually thought were friends or family or co-workers, I could talk about this, are acting weird about it. So it, it shows uh, different sides of people you didn't know they had. Oh, yeah. Uh, in, in the beginning, it disappoints me, and it, but it also, all this have really showed me which people I can go to and which I can't. Mm-hmm. So for that, uh, I'm grateful because it had happened absolutely giving me something and i'm also grateful because because of all of this i have to look at my life again mm-hmm. to see what worked and what didn't work uh, for that i have uh, i love my work but i also have always had a big dream about having my own business mm-hmm. so the last year i've been working on building uh, small baby steps my own thing mm-hmm. uh, and I hopefully in the future in some years i can live for only that for my own things yeah you can make a living off being your own boss and doing what you love to do exactly and that has uh, all all this experience have made it very clear that i have to uh, go after my dreams not because i know i'm not dying of this but it had really made an impact on my life i also have to be able to uh, i was forced to slow down a bit because i'm really really this is a permanent state the doctors told me because mm-hmm. if it haven't changed after the first operation, it won't change again. My energy levels is uh, maybe 60% of what it was before. That means when I go to work a whole day, when I come home, I have nothing left. And this is my reality now. Mm-hmm. So uh, from uh, next um, in two months, uh, I will go down in time uh, at my permanent work just so I can start having a bit more social life now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a social life now, but it's not much. Um, but I'm trying to still go out and do things, go to concerts, go to the cinema, hanging out with friends once in a while. But I have to make sure I have one or two days after that where I'm not doing anything. Because if I'm not taking care of myself after, mm-hmm. I'm getting physically, uh, physically ill again. Okay, so so when you're drained for energy, you can really feel it in your body afterwards, and you start to yeah. feel the symptoms. Yeah, and uh, it's even not. Uh, I'm drained for energy. I'm mentally beat. I'm uh, physically beat. My muscles start to ache, uh, even though the endo is not there. But it's not. It's just affecting everything. Mm. Uh, and and also, if uh, I have a period of time where I 
for example, I had a period of time a couple of months ago where I was really busy at work and I was had two, not more than two or three weeks, which is normal. But for me, it's uh, too much already for two or three weeks where I've been really busy. Mm-hmm. After that, I got really, really sick. I have uh, the worst influenza I had since I was a child and I had it for two weeks. <laughs> This was just, this is how severely my body reacts when I push myself too hard. Hmm. And uh, three weeks busy time was, for t- uh, 10 years ago, was nothing. It was just a piece it of cake. It was like, yeah, yeah, it, we had that. Yeah, uh, but yeah. I like being busy. I love being busy. <clears throat> but now my, busy, my body is just saying, yeah, but you cannot do that anymore. So that has been a big change. So I'm trying to feel... Uh, I'm trying to fill my my life with fun experiences that doesn't drain me too much over longer periods of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have to have 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 to evaluate all my life and I have to make big changes for that. So it, had, it has been a big change, but uh, but the most important thing for me mm-hmm. is that I'm still happy. I'm still a very positive person. I still uh, love life, even though this is. Uh, a part of me as well but it, mm-hmm. as, as i said earlier it doesn't define me uh it's just a thing <laughs> it's a bump <laughs> on the road uh, it's something uh, i have to, to deal with yeah. in the background but it, it doesn't define me and it, it i won't let it affect my life in a in, in the biggest way because i have so many dreams i still want to do even though i'm still struggling with with everything else but i i'm, I'm managing i'm st- it's still a learning process mm-hmm. because it's relatively new but the thing is about the, it's new in the full-blown version, but this is actually something you are kind of born with. Uh, so I can see when I look back in time, uh, uh, many girls uh, who has this have the period very early when they're maybe 12, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I had that as well, and I had so many problems with it when I was a teenager. That's why I got the birth control pills, because I was sick every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, through the years, I have many weird symptoms, uh, uh, cramps in my uterus. They have been hospitalized a couple of times because they thought it was my appendix where it wasn't. It was my uterus acting out. Mm-hmm. And each time they just said, yeah, I'd like muscle cramps. I was like, yeah, but I haven't worked out that area. How is that even possible? <laughs> and they said, yeah, but it just happens. Every time I went in, with, they also had a period of maybe seven or eight years that every night... I woke up and I have to go pee, which is normal. But I woke up, I have to go pee with cramps in my bladder. If you have not known pain until you have tried that. Uh, And I went to the doctor and said, this is not normal. Why uh, am I getting cramps? It's it's a bladder. Why is it cramping? It sounds painful. It was amazingly painful. I only had like a one and a half month of bladder problems last year. And so they figured out what it was. And that was a freaking nightmare. Yeah, yeah, but it's so painful. And also, then suddenly I got uh, I, I got so many problems in that area. And it's over the years, I can see when you look back, you can see, yeah, but there is a red thread in this. There is really, it has, this endo has been affecting me since I was a teenager, but because of the birth control pills that was keeping it down, mm-hmm. uh, and because they didn't know about this disease, I'd never had the diagnosis before now. I'm kind but of curious. But it's really a disease you had all these mm-hmm. years. I'm kind of curious because... You talked to me. You told me that it was very normal for ten percent of women to have endo in some ways, not all uh, in a severe grade, but they have it inside the body. Do have you talked to other people with endo or in that community about how come it's not really accepted by 
society and also by by the doctors, by the the medical uh, people. I mean, if it, it's that normal, so it should be something that people were what you call them. They would take a test early on to figure out if that was the case. I mean, if it's that big to to help you guys out before it's getting really bad. Yeah. But I think the problem is, uh, this was really interesting fact for me, I didn't know this, but last year I was a conference with the Endo Society in Denmark, mm-hmm. and there was different uh, doctors talking about new science and what they had discovered and whatever. And um, one of the doctors uh, from uh, from a different hospital who was also a specialist in this, he said, but uh, this is not a known fact, but the, the reality, at least in Denmark, was this. On up till uh, about 15, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. the doctors didn't learn anything in the, the doctor school about the inside of a woman in that area because it was common knowledge. And I say that mm-hmm. <laughs> really like in a, <laughs> a, a, a joke, yeah. <laughs> but it was, at that time it was common knowledge <clears throat> that no disease was there. There was no uh, nerve uh, system. There was uh, not anything. So when women women was complaining about having pain in the uterus or anything like that. It was hysteria. And I'm not lying. What? Yes. I was shocked. And the women there didn't know that. It was like, are you kidding me? He said, yeah. When he was educated, it was normal. And he has talked to some of the younger doctors who has been educated for the last 15 years. They have learned the same. There is no disease insights. So this is also why there's no science. So, yeah, there are science, but it's not so developed yet. They, they, don't have, um, they don't have a cure. They don't have a solution for it. And also they're not pretty sure what it is. The normal explanation they use, and I have, I have read a lot, but the, the most mm-hmm. uh, common explanation from the doctors and the expert is this, uh, that the cells from uh, that, uh, uh, like the membranes, I, I actually th- think I said that in the beginning of the podcast. Mm-hmm. The membranes on the inside of your uterus that uh, gets uh, expelled every time when you have the period, those cells is traveling around and attach themselves different places in the body. Uh, and every time you have your period, you bleed from the uterus, of course, but mm-hmm. you're also bleeding from these cells. And when you're bleeding uh, in the abdominal cavity, for example, mm-hmm. that is so painful and that is why you have so much pain when you have this, when you have your periods. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also, for me, I also have uh, have it on the bladder. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they operated me, they have to scratch out the endocells that were sitting on my bladder. And, uh, and that was probably why I have these cramps those years ago. Yeah, so that, that, uh, everything that I can see, yeah. there was just there was spots in people. And normally, also the the working idea was that these spots, uh, endospots, is uh, just just sitting in the abdominal cavity, but actually they have found it everywhere in the body. It's like they they don't know if they're traveling in the blood st- stream or what they do. They don't know, and they also don't know exactly where it comes from or why you get it. It can be genetic, but it's not necessarily. So it's like um, an epidemic, but it's a. Uh, 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 invisible epidemic in the world mm-hmm. because if you have any other disease which 10% of all men or women had, people would know about it. Exactly. So well, I, why I... don't they know about it? And it is because only in the last maybe 10, 15 years they have starting uh, researching this. I mean, they it's have kind, kind of weird it. because in this regard 
the the disease I'm carrying around. I mean, most doctors do not know about it. There has not been a lot of science. It's only uh, the Franconia Nima research found in the states and uh, one group in Germany, one in uh, Amsterdam, and one in Brazil that have really been looking into it because it's a number game. I mean, who wanna spend time actually trying to figure out? Uh, how to find a cure when there's so few people. I mean, that's the case of any rare disease. Here, it's actually 10% of the people, and they still don't put enough, um, what you call the... Funds and money. Funds and money into it, yes. Because it's uncomfortable, and because they they don't feel... Oh, man, that's weird. That's weird. Yeah, but also, I'm really wondering uh, why they don't... They, now, many people uh, know this. Uh, not many people, but uh, a, lot, a lot of more people know this disease. I don't know why they haven't made material to give out in the schools, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the preschools, where before... Uh, maybe when the, the, the girls are 10, 11 years old, mm-hmm. give them a flyer. If you experience this when you have your period... Mm-hmm. Please go see a doctor because if they don't get checked out, they can lose the ability to have children. Mm-hmm. They, this is so important. For me, I, I never wanted children, you know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I only got the disease and have everything removed after I'm 40, so that's not a problem. But if I wanted children, I have um, thrown away my birth control pills when I was in the middle of my 20s. There was a big risk that I couldn't get it because my disease is very severe. Mm-hmm. And people often don't realize they have it. Until this problem happens, they, they, they remove the birth control pills and then they're trying to try to make a baby and they were one year, two years, three years, and they don't know why they can't get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, and the most by chance, mostly by chance, they discover, uh, well, you have cysts or everything is going together and uh, it's going together so the eggs is not coming out or something like that. It could be so many different things happening inside and I also think that is one of the reasons why it's very difficult to get a diagnosis because it's, it, it will show in very different ways. Very different ways. Yeah, and also, um, I, mean, I mean, it's it's not... I mean, if you go in and uh, you walk into a, either a, for, to a doctor or a hospital or just in normal size and say, I have cancer, they'll be, oh, I feel so bad for you. What can we do to help? If you walk in... To a doctor, to a family meeting, no matter where you're going, you say, "Oh, I actually have some pains in uh, my uterus." I mean, <laughs> yeah. people at once they'll be the like, "Ah, oh, this is, I'm getting uncomfortable here. Can we please <laughs> change the subject?" They just maybe ask to leave the party and never come back again. <laughs> exactly, but but I, I know I know this is not terminal, but it still was something that matters a lot to all of you who have this, especially this severe. And yeah, but it, it, it really influences in your life. But I think this disease is uh, the same as many others, where you cannot tell. You cannot. It's not like a broken arm. Mm-hmm. You can show people, yeah, I broke. We have. Uh, I know, especially in Denmark, the last uh, last year there has been a lot of talk about uh, the mental diseases. If you're uh, yeah, yeah, depressed yeah. or something like that, you cannot tell if it's a person have depression because it's not a visible disease. Uh, mm-hmm. And for you, probably you have the same problem. You cannot tell that you have something because it's inside for me it's the same the invisible diseases it's really difficult because when people people when they cannot see you sick you have to be explaining everything every time and also i don't know if you have this but for me it's get really tiresome to talking about the disease 
because it gets <laughs> like a big, it's like 50% talking about the disease and 50% anything else. And I don't want to talk about disease. I, I, because I think that's getting me. easier down the line, uh, at least for me, because I tend to, I have a lot of people both on my workplace and other places that don't really know about it or they know just briefly, you know, just the name of it. Uh, because mm. I try to not talk too much about it. It's difficult because when I have to leave work because I have to go to for my all my checkups at the hospital, some people sometimes be like, oh, you're going to the hospital again? Is something yeah. wrong? No, it's just me being me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's yeah, getting easier. <laughs> but but it, it is like, if you don't talk about it, it's still too many people. It's still this elephant in the room that... They know it's there and they don't know how to approach it. Yeah, but it is, but it is really funny with this because uh, uh, again, you know me, I'm a very open person. Mm-hmm. And I'm not scared of many things. So I actually, in the beginning, I was really embarrassed to talk about it because again, talking about my uterus, talking about everything inside and <laughs> periods, pains and and uh, my vagina and the rectum, it's not normally words you go I, around. I, 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 I would just say to the listeners, I've known you for many years and I agree, <laughs> we have never been, we have never sat down to talk about stuff like that at work. <laughs> when we used to I've work never together, with it. No, <laughs> it never really came up in a normal conversation. conversation. Be like, "Oh, how are you used today?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's not not even something you talk about. Maybe with your closest girlfriends, no. you talk no. about all oh, her period pains. But you're not talking about hey, my rectum hurts. That is not <laughs> a normal subject. When I talk about it now, it's different now because I also seen because many people, even women, when I ask them. Uh, or they asked me what is wrong and I mm-hmm. said I had this endometriosis and they said what is this and I'm like okay you're a woman you don't know it but of course I didn't know it before so I understand that so I have been making uh, some efforts to really talk about what it is and just ignore that people get uncomfortable because if they ask me what it is I have to answer them yeah. and then I can just try not to use so many of the words that make the, their eyes tick <laughs> or anything like that uh, but but still uh, it could be a good idea to I think the, the only way we can come around this it, it is to talk about it and not to be embarrassed because there's nothing to be embarrassed about it's just the, the female body uh, mm-hmm. so so people have to learn that and also if people are listening to this and they have uh, either themselves or they know women or girls who have problems with the periods and they haven't heard about it, please go see a doctor and don't take no for an answer. Then go to a specialist because many doctors would just say, no, it's normal to be uh, have so many problems with your period. And it is not. It is not. And uh, sorry, I was just, I could hear my uh, baby boy in the background yeah, screaming up. Uh, people are probably going to get used to that throughout the podcast. Not much <laughs> I can do about that. We live in a... A small house, but but we can still hear him. But yeah, but yes, and that is something that I actually want to find out here. No matter what's the case, if you have uh, endometriosis, if I say that right, or you have anything else, if you feel there's something wrong, you really feel it within within your bones. You're yeah. probably right. I mean, learn to respect your own body and listen to the signal that your body is sending. So if you go to doctors. They're not gods. They can make mistakes. They have they have a lot of knowledge, but they don't know everything. I mean, there's two thousand stem cell diseases. How could they know every one of them? I mean, even something like this that is so common, 
not all doctors know about it, or maybe they only know a brief bit about it, and only about the not-so-severe cases. So, I mean, so if you feel something, I agree with Annie here, you need to stand up to yourself. You need to not become your own uh, medical doctor, but you need to go out and be like, I need this checkup. I mean, it you, is so you need to do it's that for also, yourself. And also, uh, some doctors, if they know something, they know just a little bit. For example, with this in the beginning, I was mm-hmm. actually, well, as I said earlier, my sister uh, told me, go see a doctor about the endo thing, maybe it's that. Uh, and I asked the doctor first, and the first thing she she asked me, and that was the same thing I was looking at her, uh, after, um, do, do you have pains when you're having sex? And I said, no, she said, then it's probably not that, she said. But you yeah. know what? A lot of people, including me, is not that. It's not a symptom. That's why it's so important to get checked because there's a lot of symptoms. This mm-hmm. is just one. But for some doctors, this is the main event. And it really is not the main event. It's the painful periods. That's the, the thing I hear from everyone. The pain uh, when you're having sex is not for everyone. And, so and no, matter that, what, but, no matter what you're going through like this, when you have uh, these diagnoses, uh, illnesses, uh, conditions, whatever you want to call them, not two cases are the same. I mean, you know I'm not very tall. I was told that yeah. was because of totally different reasons. Now I know it's because of account anemia. But when you look upon me and you look upon a lot of the other people, I have normal thumbs. But actually it's very, very normal. It's more common than as a normal that people who are born without a thumb or one too many or with thumbs that has some kind of abnormality. I mean, okay. but I haven't never had those problems. I didn't even know about that before I went to the state to to meet others and uh, to learn more about the disease. But that is one of the most common things. But I didn't know about that. I mean, yeah, so just like you... to show that uh, even if you are a little, uh, little out of the standard way to, to be sick, mm-hmm. if you can say it like that, it can still be that. So don't, don't use it as a checklist. You have to have everything on the list. No. It's just two or three of it is, uh, is relating to you go see a doctor. It's so important. Actually, uh, I had a, a doctor actually in the beginning when I got my cancer that's, that gave me like, if you feel anything or see anything on your body or inside your body and it hasn't disappeared after 14 days, go see a doctor. Uh, that's a very good rule. That was like, okay, so there's nothing that is supposed to be in the body that will stay for longer than that period of time. So, I mean, so if something come up, you you feel uh, something swallow on your tongue or anything. Just wait those fourteen days. If it it will probably disappear again, but if it's not, go get it checked at least. I mean, yeah. I've used that as a rule of thumb thumb ever since. Yeah, but that's a good rule. But also that shows a doctor who says take your body and yourself serious when mm-hmm. you discover or feel uh, or hear or whatever something. Mm-hmm. You have to react. Because you know yourself better. Most people I know, when they go to see a doctor, they, they, they are right. They know exactly what the problem is. Because most people today are really good at, at feeling uh, inside how, when it is normal, when it's not normal. Mm-hmm. If there's something wrong, we can feel it. For me, it was like spot on. All the symptoms I had along the way mm-hmm. was uh, the checklist was the endospecialist. He said, yeah, but it's exactly what you're getting from this. Yeah, okay. I was hmm. totally right. <laughs> so, uh, and yeah, I gotta ask you, normally I would go into this talk about death. That is not really, it's still an interesting topic, no matter oh. what. But it's not really something that you face. It's a chronic disorder, but 
as it is now. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, by the way, it's not terminal, but <laughs> <laughs> but you still have to live with this. Now you've yeah. been through one big surgery, and you will go through a surgery again later this year. Yeah. And uh, how do you look upon the future? With this. Very brightly, actually, because yeah. I, as I said uh, many times before in this mm-hmm. podcast, it's not finding me. Um, I have a lot of plans I want to do, and I'm, because it's not terminal, uh, and because I have been, I'm being better to working my way around it mm-hmm. and making solutions that works today. I'm getting more and more clever about it, how I can manage my energy best. Uh, it's a bright future, and if I'm one of the lucky uh, women. Uh, who after menopause is not feeling anything, I'm really uh, counting on that. <laughs> but if not, if not, it's also okay because if I could just live my life like uh, I'm feeling right now, but without the, it's, everything inside is growing, mm-hmm. if it's just right now, it's a good life anyway. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, I had uh, other expectations from energy when uh, from five or six years ago, mm-hmm. but you know, when you have something like this, you just uh, rearrange your life and it's good anyway. And because it's not terminal, it's, it's not going to affect me greatly. I'm not letting it affect me greatly. It's just uh, it's just the cards I'm dealt in life. I have no influence on it. So I have been able to accept that. As I said earlier, it was really difficult in the beginning because I'm very much a control freak mm-hmm. that I had something happen to me that I couldn't control. But... Um, but I have learned that uh, it is what it is. I feel regarding the lack of control. and I talked to other people about that before, and we also talked about it a little earlier. But it, it's just so weird when you feel that you're an independent man or woman who, who you, wrote, you read your own rules. I mean, you do what you want to do. You're in control yeah. of your life, all parts of it. And some of us might even be what you would call a control freak. And suddenly you, you rip that, yeah. And suddenly you just rip that out. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I can tell that when me and Anya, we used to work together, we sat in the department, a solution department. That meant we had to deal with the complaints, not the one where you just call a company and uh, scream at them at the phone. We got the the hard cases <laughs> where it's been true... Uh, uh, lawyers and everything and you know where the company had really dropped the ball on so many levels and when everything went to hell we got the case I had to I try to really figure out what was happening <laughs> we were good at our job we can manage <laughs> because we are strong people yeah but, but yeah uh, but it is from uh, my point of view it is absolutely has everything to do uh, to to do about how you see life and how you mm-hmm. choose to uh, to build your life around something that is shit, to be honest. Uh, because everyone knows to have a, a, a chronic disease, no matter what kind, mm-hmm. is annoying. It's just annoying. For me, it's really annoying. Um, <laughs> good way to put it. Annoying as hell. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. Uh, but also, I think it's a good learning experience. Because if you are like us control freaks, it's, I think it's healthy to sometimes have something thrown at you you cannot control. Because mm-hmm. it makes you different in life. So I'm not hating every moment of it. I think uh, I think it's annoying, and I don't think it's funny to have to have the operations. But I also have learned so many things, and I'm really a person who tries to learn from everything in life. And in my experience, you get most out of the bad experiences. It 
it's the ones to make you stronger and the ones to teach you more things. The positive is just fun to look at, but it's not normally a big learning experience, but it is when you have something bad thrown at you. So I'm uh, with that uh, point of view, and uh, that's the way I see life. It's easier to manage these things. Hmm. Yes, that, even though it's cliche, what doesn't kill you makes you, makes you stronger. Yeah, and but it is true. <laughs> but it is true. There's a reason people say it, even though it's cliche. <laughs> but it can be, be cliche and still true. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> now, I'm wondering, uh, let, let's talk about the the happy parts. <laughs> yes. Because you have learned to deal with it, even though you have some at least one surgery laying ahead of you, you have chosen to not let this define you. You have chosen yeah. instead to speak up, to talk about it, so other people can learn from your experiences. And yeah. also just to get uh, some focus on it, on uh, on endo. And I, I do get that, and I respect it a lot. So with all things considered, what is happiness to you, and has it changed from before to now? Mm, no, I don't think so. Actually, in the beginning mm-hmm. of the when I got the yeah the diagnosis. I was wondering where is my life going? Do I have to quit everything? But now when I have lived with it for a year and a half, I've seen it makes no difference. It's still the same thing that makes me happy. I, mm. I'm happy to I have my own house. I'm really loving my house. I have a small garden where I can light the sun. I have uh, my cats. I'm a stereotype cat. Yeah, you're, you're a cat lady. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I am. I'm single and living with cats, and I'm also working at a cat shelter. So there you are. Uh, so animals in general makes me happy. My friends uh, make me happy. I don't have uh, a thousand friends, but the ones I have are really good friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I love my job, and I have really nice coworkers. Uh, I get to travel three or four times a year. Uh, I'm, as I said earlier, I'm starting to build my own uh, company that make, gives me a lot of joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have a lot of things to be happy about, and these things are not different from before. The only thing that's changed uh, uh, is uh, my energy levels when I look at uh, it like that. And uh, maybe I'm not, maybe uh, I don't have energy to fill my life with so much fun as I have before, but I'm still doing the things. Mm-hmm. Maybe just in a smaller scale. I'm still going to concerts. I'm still going out to see stand-up comedy. I'm still going to the movies. I'm still uh, having fun. Girls, uh, girls stay in the garden when the weather is good with bubbly water and uh, barbecue. <laughs> and, and I'm still doing the fun things in life. That's, uh, maybe one thing could be I have prioritized the fun things in life more. Maybe that is what I'm thinking about right now. Uh, I have said goodbye to more things that don- didn't give me joy. Mm-hmm. I've been more focused on doing fun things. Fun, that, that is uh, something, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's something, uh, not everybody, but a lot of people who uh, suddenly get a diagnosis or have a chronic disorder. And when when you learn to deal with it, you also learn to appreciate other things yeah. and you, you become better at find, figuring out, at least many people does, figuring out what do you want in your life and what don't you want to have in life? I mean, I think yeah, it's only natural. That you... I think it's natural development because for me, for example, I, when I don't have much energy, uh, before I have energy for 10 things, now I have for five. Mm-hmm. I have to make sure these five things are really good. 
because otherwise I'm wasting my five things. Oh, so yeah, I, definitely. I, I think it's it's like that. I have prioritized instead of just doing things that is uh, 50% fun, I'm doing 80 to 100% fun because I know I have to manage what I do. Mm-hmm. So I can't do everything, but I can choose the things uh, I like to do most. So in that way, I can say I have uh, packed my life with more, more amazing experiences mm-hmm. and not so much annoying experiences. And for that, it's actually a good thing because it's also learned to take a good hard look at where you in your life. Uh, are there some friends you, you need to cut out that's not good for you anymore or mm-hmm. experiences? Or maybe for some people, I reckon it also can be workplaces. Are you really happy at your job? Maybe you should do something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you really still enjoying the sport you're doing or uh, the neighborhood you're living in? I think it's uh, no matter what it is, if you get a, you get a diagnosis it's uh, i think it's pretty normal to make like a, a full inventory of your life and see what works and what's not working anymore what makes me happy and what is definitely different. definitely yeah i have done the same so what i'm prioritizing is the fun things and if i can feel when i'm getting invited to something or uh, i have uh, the possibility to do something if i can feel inside that this is not 100% something i really would enjoy, I'm saying no, because mm. that used the time to to gather my energy, so I have energy for the next big event I want to go to instead. So yeah, in that way, I think I have made a lot of different. Uh, but I think it, I didn't realize this. Or I realized this until you asked me because it has been a fluent experience. It's mm-hmm. been over a year and a half, so it's not overnight. It has just been like a state of mind uh, built up over this year and a half. So yeah. I think actually I have done that. <laughs> yeah, but it makes a lot of sense to me that as the way you explained it, that if you only have energy for like 10 things a day, uh, if you have like for energy for 10 things a day before and you only have for five things now, you need to be more picky. You don't need to be, but you owe to yourself to be more picky about how you spend your time, who do you spend your time with, where do you work, what do you have on keeping your life. I know we all have to pay bills. Of course, I get that some people sit in a shitty job because of that, because they need to pay the mortgage and all that. But you still owe to yourself to make those decisions because nobody is going to thank you afterwards. No, I mean, and also if if you have something uh, like ten uh, percent uh, of your body or personality that is not good, mm-hmm. uh, what the disease, you have to make sure the ninety percent rest of it is. Because otherwise, if on the scale, if you have a scale and there's good things in one bowl and the bad things in the other, if the bad thing bowl is heavier, mm-hmm. then life is not good. So, so you have to fill the good one. So that is the heaviest one, and it like block out the bad things. Because then it will be, then it's a, you are able to live with the bad things. Mm-hmm. Because you have so many good things, then it's just like a side note. Yeah, yeah, it is there, but I'm not thinking about it daily because now I have to go to this great concert. I have to go to the, on. I'm traveling to a place warm where I can lie on a beach and have uh, drinks with a little umbrella in it. That is more important than if that focus. Yeah, so then you have things that maybe when you go on the holiday, you lie on the beach with the umbrella drinks and suddenly you have uh, a pain for half an hour, but the rest of the holiday maybe is amazing. Mm-hmm. Then it, it, it's bearable. Then it's easy to just it's easy to forget you have something that works against you when you have so many things working with you. Agree, agree. And that is kind of the balance all people have to figure out and find within themselves 
how can they balance these kind of things? So the disease and the things you have, it doesn't even have to be a disease. I mean, if you had a bad, bad childhood, mm. I understand why it, it can, it, it matters a lot to you. I understand how it can uh, fill your thoughts almost all of the time, but you need to figure out a way, find a balance, because you cannot run away from your past. But you can be sure you have to, to find a way a to better. Do it or live with it anyway, mm. and then uh, build good experiences uh, on top of it, so it's kind of drowned out. I think it's the same if you have a, a, a traumatic experience, uh, mm-hmm. or near death experience, or something like this. You hear the same from the, from these people, and they're making changes because suddenly it gets very clear what is good in your life and what is mm-hmm. it. If it doesn't matter, if you have something that you say, yeah, but I don't care about it. Let it go. Only even if it means you have to let go of ninety percent of your own life, and you only have ten percent left. If those ten percent is what really makes you happy, that is for from where I'm standing a much better life. Mm-hmm. My life is even though this is not something I'm dying of, but still it has made me realize my life is too short to do things I don't want. And also, and you don't know what's coming up in the future. Now you've been to one surgery, a second one is coming up. You don't know what the future brings. So why? Not just enjoy life while you know exactly what you have in front of you and why you have a lot of control. Exactly. That is also why, even though the last six months I have been getting more and more tired, I have still managed to start my, my company. And you saw I have just gotten my examinations for a psychology course. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to do things I really like and I enjoy even though I'm tired. And then I'm just... In that period of time, for example, when I have to do a lot of homework for this course, <laughs> uh, I'm just, uh, I, I just have to, there was other things I couldn't do. I didn't see my friends as much, but that was a priority because it was important for me mm-hmm. to get new knowledge in this area, for, also for the company I'm, I'm building, but also for myself because I find it interesting. And also to prove to myself that this, uh, it was part of it. It, it. I was proving to myself that even though I live my life differently now, mm-hmm. I can still do the things I want. I just mm-hmm. have to prioritize. So it was a big success for me to actually manage to do this. Uh, so I'm still trying to do a lot of things. I have a lot of plans for the future that I want to do. Uh, so I'm, about, I'm just working my way over to it. And then maybe things take a little more time than I was thinking it would 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. But Hey, it's okay. It doesn't uh, matter if you reach your, if you reach your goal. It doesn't matter if it took a month longer or a year longer. It doesn't really matter. Most people do never go out and find that happiness. I mean, so if you're chasing the right dreams for you, time doesn't matter. No, exactly, exactly. And my life is really too short to just sit on my behind and <laughs> not follow my dreams. <laughs> I to, so I have to make it. My dream is to make an impact in the world. And it's not about endo. It's not my endo that has to make an impact. I no. make it, I have to make an impact for what else I have. Mm-hmm. Not that. So that is also why in my company, even though I'm, it's about treatment for people and conversation, I have not one place uh, said anything about this disease because I don't want it to define my company and what I want to do in my future. It's just a side note. Mm, I get that, yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of wondering here, uh, we've talked a little about how it was to get diagnosed, how it was to confront the people around you or to talk to them about it, what you've been through with surgeries and everything. Now, 
I know that uh, probably a lot of the male listeners maybe have been like, okay, this is too much. Maybe not. Hopefully, <laughs> you have stayed. And uh, for the female listeners, hopefully, there's a lot of you for you to learn. And also, you know, just be a little more aware if you hear uh, your girlfriends or other people talk about these kind of symptoms and be like, I mean, have you get have you gotten this checkup? Are you sure it's not this? I mean, you've gained some knowledge, hopefully. But uh, I want to ask you, Anya, if you're, it doesn't matter if you're young or you are uh, 25 or 30 or 40, if, do you have any advice to, to other women and girls who has had a difficult time with their periods and uh, maybe uh, feeling those cramps you talked about? And do you have any good advice how to uh, approach this, even yeah. though they don't have the diagnose? Yeah, yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, go find uh, in what country you're listening from right now uh, information about this. Uh, Google is your friend in this area. <laughs> uh, and then uh, if you can see that you have uh, one or two, even just one of the symptoms, uh, go see a doctor. The first symptoms normally will, you will experience is strong periods, a lot of bleeding, a lot of pain. Uh, some women are even fainting or throwing up for one or two days. They cannot get out of bed. They get really, really sick, and their body is aching everywhere. If you have more than just a little bit of pain from your period, you have to go checked up and make sure your doctor knows this disease. You have to ask them if they know it. Uh, and you, if they don't or you have a feeling they don't, have them refer you to a specialist in this. For you, have, you have, yeah, I know you have probably American listeners. I know in America they have a lot of studies uh, about this in this year's. Uh, mm -hmm. In this year's about endo, uh, I'm following some American websites. There's a lot of um, uh, communities and societies uh, with endo. Contact them and let them help you. They know which doctors are good and mm -hmm. get it checked out. Because even if you're, especially for the young girls or the young women, if you want kids and you have these symptoms, you have to have it checked because you're gambling with your ability to have children later on. So if it, this is a wish in your life, please go and have it checked out. And don't be afraid to talk about other people with it, uh, about it, uh, and spread the words because the more people that knows and the more doctors that knows, the more uh, women we can help before it gets too late. So that's my words. <laughs> that's your words. <laughs> <laughs> that was some wise words. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> no, uh, it has really been a pleasure having you here. As I mentioned, uh, I've. Picked in the beginning here, I've chosen to have people on the podcast that I know. There will be some people down the line that I have only uh, met through this podcast, and but but I I enjoy having these talks because I get to know a lot of you, those people of uh, like you who participate. I get mm -hmm. to know you better, but also think that it's just the reason I wanted to start the podcast to begin with was to talk more openly about these things, like you talked about deeper deeper topics, um, yeah. and not be afraid to talk about life, death, diseases, happiness, all these things, because it's part of our lives no matter what. You have been healthy for all of your life, but you still have some issues you have to deal with. Don't go around and hide them. We, Everybody should be able to talk more openly about what's going on. I mean, I've... I had a friend, uh, you, you also know, it's actually an old uh, co-worker and uh, my old boss, 
who who committed suicide some years ago, without yeah. nobody around him knowing he was feeling that bad. And to me, I don't know. I'm I'm not gonna talk a lot about that specific situation. But to me, it's just like if people. I believe that if people speak up, talk more about what matters, what's going on in their life, without all these taboos about what not to talk about and what to talk about. I mean, we can all live on a big, fluffy, uh, pink cloud, but if that means that people are feeling lonely or feel that they don't belong into any groups, or I mean, what's the point of it? So yeah. I like to drag all these things out in the open. And talk more about them. I mean, as you mentioned, a lot of women are dealing with this. So talk about it. Help each other. That's I totally agree. Kind of my words. That's a, yeah, that's what you were. <laughs> what you were. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> no. But it has really been a pleasure having you on the podcast, talking about this. I've learned a lot. I hope the listeners have learned a lot too. Yeah, if so, not, and if they want to know more, they can also uh, you can just send them my email if they have any questions. I'm also I'm always open to uh, to make people more wiser about this disease. Mm. So if they don't want to contact their own society, they're they're very welcome to send me an email mm. with questions. That's an open invitation, so, uh, and that's also that's an open invitation. Yeah, and also <laughs> I will talk to Annie afterwards to see if I yeah. can get some links where you can search for more information about uh, endometriosis. So you have, yes, and so, I'll put so that in the description of the podcast. The yeah. Yeah, I have a, a web pages for the American Society as well, so I will find that for you. Okay, I'll make sure to put it in the, in the notes about the podcast, so you just go down there and check it out, and you can find the, the right links. Yeah. Thank you so much, Anya. It was a pleasure. Yeah. It was fun to join. <laughs> Thank you so much and good luck with the surgery and good luck with everything from here on out. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. Yeah, you too. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to tonight's episode of Life, Death and Happiness. If you like this, please do us a big favor and head over to iTunes, Overcast, Spotify or wherever you're listening to this podcast from and subscribe to us. If you also give us a good rating, it will help us a lot reaching much more people. So I will appreciate that a lot too. Also, you can of course follow us on Facebook and Twitter and help us spread the word through there. My name is Daniel and thank you so much for listening.